bigger than that. It was what I do now. It was I, I could see the stage. I could see the set pieces and the dancers and the costumes. But here I am in a pair of, you know, trousers, like in Converse shoes in my living room. It's a little. <laughs> and so taking a step back from it, once I realized nobody gets it, it was like, well, you have to you can't just tell people you have to show people. <laughs> and these videos were not showcasing what I saw in my head. And it was and then it became a chance of, OK, how do I show not tell? And I started to build my brand the way I saw it in my head and stopped waiting for someone else to say, I believe in you. I'm going to help you. And I just started finding ways to do it myself. Always the best way to go. Always. But hard to do. Like, And it is overwhelming to even take that first step. Even though like your first step is Lindsay Stomp, your YouTube channel, and that's what you're talking about, right? Yes. Shooting videos, dancing around in your trousers and Converse. <laughs> but it's time to legitimize that and make that into more what is that first step? What, what what do you do? How do you build that up if it's just you right. and a violin? Well, I stopped trying to think of, I need to just show people something. It was like, well, I need to show them what I see. And I couldn't afford huge stage pieces. I couldn't afford fancy productions. But, you know, it's using what's around you. I lived in Utah at the time. Gorgeous scenery. Gorgeous mountains. I just went up the canyon from where I lived. And thank heavens for me, I had a film background. So I had a lot of friends that were into film and cinematographers that I had done projects with. I'd helped on their senior project shoots. And I was able to call them up and be like, I need someone to film me in the canyon. <laughs> but also... Tap those favors in. Tapping those favors in. And anything... Like I used to, you know, trade... Um, offering to play on people's albums for studio time. I'd be like, hey, can I use your studio to record some violin music in trade for when you have someone that comes through and needs a violinist or if you have a demo you need to make, you call me and I will put violins on your track. So trading cool. skills. Also, I knew how to edit my own videos because I, again, went to film school. So I had some skills under my belt um, and I definitely upped my costume game by finding things and sewing them myself. I mean, just it's amazing what you can do when you don't know you can't do it. Amen. And I think that is the biggest blessing of my career is that even though people were telling me like, it's not possible, it's not possible. In my mind, for some reason, I knew I could. And if I had known then what I know now, I would have realized that it was impossible for me to be a successful violinist touring the world on my own dime without a record label, having stuff on radio. Like that's impossible for a violinist. It's literally one in a billion chance. But because I didn't know it was impossible, <laughs> I just started doing it. And that self-belief is the strongest thing I think I ever had working for me. And I'm so glad that I didn't know more, that I wasn't wiser in the industry. <laughs> That's awesome. That's it's, it's the truth. You built your own opportunity. And you did it because, like you said, you didn't know that it couldn't happen. It's cool. Do you remember the first time you touched a violin or realized a violin was even an instrument? Yes. I have these memories of, you know, being really young. And my parents loved classical music. And so sometimes they would take us to these, like, orchestra concerts in the park like we lived in san diego and um you know or sorry uh orange county but we would go to these little orchestra concerts and i remember staring at the violinist and they would always get the solos and i thought it was so magical when the first chair violinist would stand up and play you know this magical wooden instrument and i just begged for lessons and i vivid you know i vaguely i guess remember my first lesson i remember holding the violin and being so excited about this little tiny thing that i could make noise on and that it drove my sister nuts <laughs> and you know heck, that was probably half my motivation of practice was that my older sister hated it <laughs> I, I read online that you were taking half lessons because your parents yes. couldn't afford a full one yeah my parents couldn't my we, we really struggled financially when i was a child um but my mom and dad were like this is obviously really important to her what parent doesn't dream for their child to beg for violin lessons yeah, right? you know like yeah. she actually wants to play and so they made a lot of sacrifices and they were searching for someone they could afford and all the lessons were just far too expensive so my mom found this college student that was starting to teach lessons and she was like look I can afford 15 minutes a week and no one they all said a child needs at least 30 minutes a week it, or it will not set in and you know, this one college student was like, heck, I'll teach your, I'll teach your kid for 15 minutes a week. Why not? And uh, it stuck. Yeah. What was it, though? Why the violin? Why? What fueled that attachment? 
You know, it's funny. I begged for violin lessons and dance lessons. Which and you now. And I, I know I finally found the two together, <laughs> right? <laughs> but like as a kid, my you know my parents obviously couldn't afford both, so they took me to a violin lesson and then they took me to a dance class. And I think I was so intimidated by it. the dance class had all these other little girls in it, and they all had these perfect tutus, and I didn't, you know, or these perfect little dance dresses. And I just remember feeling so much like, I don't know where I fit in here. And they all know what to do. And I was so overwhelmed by it that I was like, I'm going to do that other thing that, you know, I'm going to play the violin. <laughs> I think it was just by being intimidated that I was. And also I got to take the violin home with me, which was fun. And so, you know, I'm very grateful that I first learned. I played violin since I was six. I didn't start to dance till I was like 23. And I'm really glad that I chose the violin first because I don't think I ever would have been able to teach myself the violin at 23. Mm-hmm. No, <laughs> no way. Which just wouldn't have happened, yeah. Were there moments within your relationship with the violin where you didn't want to practice? You didn't. You were done with it? Were your parents there forcing you to keep it going? Or was it just yourself motivating you? Um, definitely my parents helped because, I mean, the novelty of it for sure wore off, you know, after I've had it for a while and I've been squawking away at it for a yeah. while. All of a sudden it's like, well, everybody else is playing. I don't want to practice this thing anymore. Um, but I was always driven enough that with encouragement from my parents, it was never like, you will practice that thing. It was always just, I, I mean, at one point I actually did want to quit when I was um, like a, in junior high and I just didn't like it anymore. And my mom was like, look, I've paid for lessons for you. <laughs> since you were six please make it to the end of the year she's like just get through this year and if in four months you still want to quit you know you can quit she's like but for me can you just put in four more months and by the time the end of the year rolled around I had made it through that slump and I think that's what it is is things aren't always fun and sometimes you go through times when you don't necessarily want to do it but at the end of the day like it was something that was a piece of me it was something that I enjoyed and I just had to get through my slump and I'm really grateful for parents that kind of pushed me through those little slumps. Are you, even after that, were there moments where you didn't want to keep going? Um, Yeah, there were, you know, other little peaks and valleys of it. And for sure, the biggest one was probably when I went to college and I was about to study music in college. I was going to be a um, performance music major at BYU. And right when I like applied for college, got accepted into the program, auditioned and everything, I suddenly was like, I don't actually like this anymore. I've played my whole life. And it was like really sad to me because the violin was a part of my identity. You know, it was something that had always been a piece of me since I was six years old. And suddenly I realized I actually don't like this. I don't even, you know, I don't even enjoy it. And so I decided not to study music. I ended up going to film, but I decided rather than quitting, I was like, I need to find my passion again for this. What is it about this that I don't like? And I realized I've been playing this thing the way it's been played for hundreds of years. I've been playing music that was written on sheets hundreds of years ago and playing it the way that I'm told to play it. There was pretty much zero creativity in it for me. And I'm such a creative person and I thrive off of being able to express myself, not what is on a page, but express myself. And so that's when I started to write music for the, you know, really for the first time. And I started to try out all these different styles. I'd go to shows and I would, after the show, like in these little clubs, I'd ask the band like, hey, I'm a violinist. If you ever need a violinist, but like call me. And I started getting people to call me and I played all different types of music. Um, and it reinvigorated my passion again for the violin. So, which is amazing, right? You, you changed the definition of what a violin has been meant for. Right. So that's how you, you kept it fresh. You just changed you changed the purpose of an instrument or you I don't know, you found new purposes for the violin. Yeah. And I mean, I think there's a place for all types of music. I, I love classical music. It was just at that time it wasn't fulfilling me anymore. And I had to make the violin fit me rather than make me fit the violin, I guess. Mm-hmm. Who was your first big collaboration? My first big collaboration, oh, maybe it might have been Owl City, which I was so stoked about getting to, like, first I was brought into the room to write with him. I was so nervous. And then we did a, a song, Beautiful Times, together. But was this pre or post Fireflies for them? This was post Fireflies. Oh, they were hotter than ever. I so know. he was hot stuff. <laughs> yes. I mean, and I had played that song on repeat in my college apartment. So I was so excited when I was like, wait, he wants to work with me. So when you go into that studio, do you know what song you're going to add violins to or do you go in clean slate? Um, We went in clean slate and we wrote a song. However, the song we wrote actually didn't make his album. So I was kind of bummed. But then he came back to me with a song. He's like, I would really still like you on my album. So 
like, there's space in this one. Do you want to write violin to it? So then I, you know, took another stab at it, wrote to the song that he loved, and uh, it ended up on the album. Awesome. When you start the process of doing something like that, how do you break down a song, right, before you, like, what is your process like before you just write a piece of violin for it? Yeah. Are you talking about when I'm writing for myself or when I'm writing for someone else? Say for this, right? The Owl City record. Mm -hmm. You hear the record, you break it down in your head before you write. Like, what does that look like to to you? I love improvising. And so improvisation is usually a big way I write in that way where I'll take the song. They've kind of left usually little holes for me. Mm -hmm. And I will find those little holes musically or parts where I think that harmony would be really beautiful. And I'll just start to like weave the violin to it, almost like it's a little thread of color in a lovely Christmas sweater. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, uh, and the violin is just supposed to be this little thing that ties the whole song together and like has its shining moments. And other times it's just supportive. Is that the purpose of a violin, no matter the body of music? I, I guess so. It's such a connective instrument. Like, um, and I, I feel like it sings the most when it's, um, it just kind of winds its way. Like, and certain melodies don't work well on a violin. Like, a lot of melodies that you would sing, when I try to do, like, if people ask me to do a cover of something, some melodies, I'm like, that just doesn't sing on a violin because the violin is such a connective instrument and it's so much about winding melodies. It doesn't work if it's really, da, da, da. like, a lot mm-hmm. of songs, like pop songs today, don't work well for violin. They can be played on it, but it, I don't think it makes the violin sing, personally. Radioactive. That's a huge cover you do with Pentatonix. Yes. I think you win a YouTube Music Award off of it. Yes, I did. It was a big I deal. I forgot about it. Yes, it was. <laughs> it was like one it of the biggest big covers of the year. <laughs> yeah. It was It was crazy how big that song went, you know, our cover of it went, because I don't think any of us really expected it. And, uh, you know, we were kind of in our exploding stage as each one of us on YouTube at the time. We weren't, um, you it, know, I, so it was, a, it was a cool surprise. It was you and Pentatonix. Yes. Beautiful collaboration. When you break down Radioactive... To, to cover is there a process there like what are you listening for are you listening for what parts the violin can replace or how the violin can heighten what's already being done that one was kind of a heightening thing because it was really interesting being a part I've done it a couple times where I've collaborated with acapella artists or groups and it's interesting because there's no like orchestration to wind through you're it's almost like a backwards process usually there's tons of instruments yeah. and then there's like a voice and you know a lot of times the violin kind of is almost like a duet with a voice. Suddenly there's tons of voices and the violin is the different thing. And so it wasn't about how do I stick out amongst all these instrumentations? It was, oh, how do I blend with all these voices? It was more about blending and I wanted to be like the sixth member of pentatonics rather than, you know, something else. Cool. How, how many times <laughs> do you listen to a song like that before you get it perfect? Ah, <laughs> lots. Lot? lots, lots, lots. And then... um Man, before a song comes to the world, but you know, by the time I've written on it, worked on the backtracks, um, <clears throat> and then the mixes and the masters, and then edited the videos for it. Oh, it's a yeah. It takes I mean, months. I could years. I could I could sing the song backwards probably. <laughs> Go not, ahead. Really. No, no, not really. Not really. Right Actually, I don't know if I could. <laughs> well, so even when you're doing like dance music, because I was listening to all of your albums. Every song, every album is so different. But does it start with these beats that you put together? Does it start with the violin? Like if you, I, I want to like crystallize, right? Mm-hmm. Great record. Does Thank it you. start with the violin or does it start with something different? You know, back in the day, like when I wrote Crystallize, <clears throat> I would work with this producer. It was one producer that did almost that entire album. And I would literally sit behind him as he like worked on the computer on those tracks at, for hours and I would you know make suggestions and say oh let's make this more like this and I'm make this louder I would just sit there and like kind of produce where he was my hands <clears throat> and um then I would take the tracks home once they were a hundred percent done and I would like crystallize it, it, I've never spent so long writing a song I just could not find the right melody because <clears throat> it did feel like something really special and nothing I made up felt good enough for it and so I almost threw the song away so many times because I was like I just the violin doesn't fit in this I cannot make it work um but I'd already paid for it (laughs) because back then I used to pay I would pay this producer before we even started a song and so I had already spent money on this track and I could not afford to not use it and so I kept pulling it out of my little trash can and sitting with it so it took me like two months to come up with a melody for that song um but yeah i used to just completely finish the backtracks and then write the violin wow i mean that seems really challenging 
The, right. It was it was interesting to try to make my violin fit into something that we'd already created, and I never even tried to play it until it was done. Rather than like not make the backing track fit the violin. Right. Because it was you and the violin are the star. <laughs> Why? Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you know, to this day, I still like to be inspired by something when I'm writing. So very few times have I ever written. Like sometimes the the piano, like I'll write with a pianist or guitar player, but a lot of times I like the mood and the mood that is created by the sounds is so important to me, especially because there's no lyrics on a lot of them. And so the sonics of it have to speak. They have to make you feel something. Even before the violin comes in, you're supposed to feel something and that inspires my melody. So to this day, a lot of times I at least start the tracks before I write the melodies. Wow. I mean, it's, it's, it's it's really cool. Like it, it's really cool to see the potential of one instrument that I think the world has defined one way. Right. Do you get know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like everybody looks at the violin in a, like, two or three different ways. None of those ways incorporate any sort of dance music, any sort of tour that's alongside Evanescence. Do you get mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Yeah, I'm a peeps. <laughs> like that. You kind of changed the definition of an entire instrument, which is pretty sweet. Oh, thank you. You did a song with Evanescence. <clears throat> yeah. High low. Mm-hmm. I mean, what is that process like and how does it start? Do you go to them? Do they go to you? And same thing, do you go in blank slate into that yes. studio? Um, well, actually, I never even got to meet Amy before I recorded on really? that song. Um, and I have been a huge Evanescence fan since I was like 15. And so I'd actually written songs in the past where I specifically wrote them for Amy Lee to sing. That's awesome. And at the time she was like, oh, on maternity leave or something. Like she wasn't able to do it. Or also I was I was not a big artist yet. And so it was really cool when then years later, like in my inbox lands, hey, do you want to work with Evanescence? They've reached out to see if you would be on their song. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. It was like this full circle moment. And, and then from that, you know, I recorded, basically they sent me a song with this empty space in the bridge and they were like she in her words we talked on the phone and she's like i want you to just shred from amy lee she wanted me to shred on this song and i was like done and so i got to just make a shred violin solo the same way a guitar would you know player would approach a shredding solo which was really cool it's backed by full orchestration and then um from that song we then got to tour together because it had such a good reaction from our fans and the tour was so fun. It was kind of a, I don't know, again, a dream come true for me to be able to not only work with Amy, but to then tour with her and get to know her. We're, we're like friends now. It's cool. <laughs> what do you learn from creating a record like that? Um, I mean, I think there's always this balance of, you know, what would I do for myself, but what would I also do for what sounds like Amy? Like when I'm writing for myself, it's so much, what would Lindsay do? What would my fans like? What makes me feel like a pixie that would dance across the stage? You know, that's what I'm thinking of. Um, Or what would inspire a music video? But writing for someone else, you have to put yourself in, you know, like I probably should have worn this outfit when I went to the studio. You know, (laughs) been like, what would Amy Lee do? What makes this album sound like her and me? So it's always kind of a fun challenge to like put yourself into somebody else's shoes for them. When when they give you that open spot in the song, do you actually write it or you kind of just freestyle it and see where it goes? I am a freestyler. I'll just like start jamming and playing and then I'm like, oh, that was cool. That was cool. And I like stop it and I like try to remember what I just played because I try to just like put on the headphones extra loud and just jam until like and I play tons of terrible stuff until all of a sudden <laughs> these really cool melodies start to like rise to the top and I start to find new themes that I love. And um and then uh, my sister is actually a musician as well, you know, a really good musician. And so she'll annotate all my music for me so that then I can put it on my website for kids to learn and play. Oh, oh that's cool. That yeah. is really like that. cool. And also, like, you don't have to do it. Because and that I don't sounds have to do it. really hard. <laughs> it's very time consuming to like pen to paper all those notes and I'm the sure. annotation and the articulations of it. Um, but I remember as a kid, there was like nothing cool for the violin to play. And so it was always really important to me. Like as soon as I release an album, like even prior to that, we're working on the annotated music. And at least by the time a music video drops, I like to have the sheet music available with like backing tracks. And I love it when I see kids at their talent shows playing like, (laughs) you know, Crystallize or something with this cool electronic backing track. And I'm like, yes, like I would have died to feel like orchestra is not cool when you're a kid. (laughs) And I was like this, I would have died to have had that when I was like a teenager or even, you know, a kid to be able to play something that, was fun and energetic rock and, and roll bro. rock and roll yeah <laughs> you mean the violin rock and roll That's right. Did you get a lot of band camp jokes when you were growing up 
Uh, yes. Well, especially because I was, I mean, I was a, sp- a special child. I was in a band and orchestra, oh. played the flute. And so I was a band nerd and an orc dork. Okay, <laughs> orc filled, dork? I've never heard that. Oh, well, it was prevalent where I came from. Wow. <laughs> I like it. I mean, I don't. It's mean, but it's funny. But, you know, now I'm proud of it. I'm like, I'm an orc dork. What can I say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's been the hardest part about playing the violin? Hardest part? <clears throat> um, I would say one of the hardest parts of playing the violin, like, other than just the skill of it, I mean, especially what I do in, in dancing and playing, it's really not easy. It takes a ton of, and it's something that it never gets easy. For example, when I'm on tour, I, pr- I still practice quite a bit. And before every show, I need to like really get in my zone. I don't think it will ever be a casual experience to walk on a stage because it takes so much. Even at the end of a tour, after I've done a show 50 times, I still have to walk out there really thinking and really being in my zone because like I said, it's really difficult to keep good intonation yeah. and to, you know, do choreography and pirouettes. And, and so I don't think it will ever be easy for me. And I, I think it's kind of cool in a way that I really have to work hard on a consistent basis to keep up with what I want to be. Have you ever thought about going to like a track? Um, playing to a track? Yeah. You know what? I, one, I, I, I just, it's part of like, I don't know, I pride myself in the fact of I play live. And you can I, do both. Yeah, I could, but there no, have no, you could do both. I mean, like a uh, dancing and playing. You oh can yeah, do it. and I want that. I don't because I mean it would be so easy to mime it. You know, it's like anybody could pretend to play the violin and dance. But the fact that I think most people can tell it's live, and also I mean, there's too many things that can go wrong. I've dropped bows before mid show. You know, <laughs> and I'm like, oh gosh, I'd be mortified if my fans realize, oh my gosh, she's playing to track. Like if I dropped yeah. my bow and then it kept going. Like, oh my God. like you know, an Ashley Simpson. Right. But I mean, also it's mostly just people come, you know, and pay money to see me play and dance. And so I always want to give that to them. But you know, there's a lot of artists that I know they use the excuse that they dance as to why they use tracks. Right. They That's can't true. Like, keep their breath or what, whatever. How, how, how well do you have to know a song before you start putting dance moves to it? It has to be muscle memory. Like I cannot think about. So I always practice the music first so well that I don't have to think about it. And I can play it with my eyes closed or sleeping. Of course, I can play with my eyes closed. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I have to be able to play it in my sleep. And then I learn the choreography without the violin. So I go to choreography practice with my dancers. Like we're doing that right now. And, um, no violin. I just like hold my arms as if I'm playing and learn all the choreo. And then on my own in front of nobody, I've never done this in front of everybody. I, I like to just really slowly start to integrate the two. And they start out as two very separate parts of my brain. And slowly they become one. And it's actually really interesting to like feel it happen as suddenly the dance moves are connected. Like my feet are connected to like my arms in a weird way. And then it's almost weird to separate them. So when you're on stage, are you thinking like, focusing on the music the dancing or both together um it switches if if i'm like in the middle usually the dance becomes so muscle memory but things like balance at moments when i really have to keep my balance or it's like a, a turn that's hard to come out of um i all of a sudden all my focus goes to my my body and holding my core and then all of a sudden i'll hear a note that's out of tune and i switch back it's like whoa 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 we're off and then i've got to switch into playing mode Are, wow. do you have ears in Thank heavens, yes. Everything. Yeah, <laughs> How long does it take before a piece of music becomes muscle memory for your fingers? Um, it just depends. Um, uh, you know, because I write them all, but then you record them in the studio, and then you don't see them for a while, yeah. and so then it's like, oh, we're preparing for tour. I need to remember these all again, and so it's just, I would say, a couple days of practicing something will get it to where it's really solid. It's crazy to wrap my brain around because it is, it's, it looks beautiful on stage, but really is two totally different things coming together that takes real physical balance and mental balance. Absolutely. Yes. What what do your parents think? Like when they. Yeah, they're so proud. I I mean, this is their lessons and their money paying off times a trillion. Yeah, my mom comes out to like multiple shows every tour. You know, she'll stay on the tour bus with us and, um, and she's so, so incredibly proud. She's proud of all of her kids. Um, but I know that just like you said, she paid for these lessons, made those sacrifices. And, uh, you know, and my, my father passed away a few years ago. But I feel him really strongly sometimes, uh, especially there were a couple shows on our last tour where I just felt like my dad was there with me, especially my hometown shows. Probably one of the strongest times I've ever felt like 
my dad is literally with me right now. And, and that's really cool that doing my, my passion brings me closer to my dad. Yeah, that's, it's beautiful. You really, I mean, you can ask for a few other things, but that's, uh, it's really nice. Yeah. It's beautiful. And, and, and to know that your family is all supportive, like your sister still works with you. Yeah. Um, my, my family's so supportive and always has been my sister. She does a lot. She does all my transcribing and my music and my website. She helps me with, um, my other sister I wrote my book with and, uh, you know, so in, in different ways, my family's been involved in different parts of my journey and it's really cool. And you run your own business. This is crazy. Do my best. <laughs> it's your boss lady. It's nuts. I mean, you are an independent artist. You do it all. Yeah. Right? Like, that's, it's a rarity. And, you know, now that I've done it that way, I cannot imagine doing it any other way. Like, when I work with, or just even my friends that are artists and hearing about how their relationship is with a label and the things they, the label can decide for. I'm just like, oh, no, no, I don't think I could. I mean, yeah. Do, do you prefer songs with lyrics or just your violin? I mean, I'll always probably be an instrumentalist at heart. I love instrumental music. Um, but at the same time, it is fun to, like, switch it up every once in a while. I thought there was a really good balance on this Christmas album of there's lyrics on a couple songs, some of which I even ended up singing um, just because I ended up liking the demo. I sang the demo because I was there writing the song. And I'm like, actually, I, I sound pretty darn good. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so it was really fun to do that and get to – because also performing um, – I can look at the audience and I can smile at them as I play, but when you're singing and you get to like, just the simple act of being able to point right at someone and like say something to it, there's a little bit of extra connection that happens there, which um, it's just it's just different from being behind an instrument versus using your own voice. Just I like guess, yeah, I guess you can't play the violin and sing at the same time, can you? You can, right? But it's harder. I, I guess you it's way could. It's another one of those just learn. I can't. I've not practiced that skill enough to be able to do it. So I can't do that. But on a couple of these songs, I go back and forth between like I violin, then I sing. Oh, yeah. Violin, then I sing. Use your chin to hold it, too. So it's probably hard. Yeah. So it's a little odd to be like, I mean, it just probably looks really awkward. As as awkward as I looked when I started dancing and playing. (laughs) Do lyrics come easy to you? Or is that a challenge? Like writing them? Yeah. Um, I always bring on someone to help me, for sure. I don't think I'm the most amazing lyricist. I do think I have really fun concepts for songs um, or really, like, deep concepts. I'm really good at coming up with, like, stories I want to tell, analogies that I feel like should be in the song or just things to say. And then I love having someone there to kind of help me say them in a better way. Especially people will say things like, that doesn't sing well. Wait, what do you mean? Like, not everything, they're like, th- that word, that's a funny word to sing. And I'm like, I never would have thought of that. The same way I'm like, that doesn't play well on a violin. Well, yeah, of course. Certain things don't sound good when you try to sing them. You can say them. But so it, it's been a really cool process to do a lot more writing of lyrics and learning all of these things. And we briefly touched on this, but if we just put on a random song now and you had your violin, how easy is it for you to just play along? Um, Pretty easy. Um, there's only a few keys that I'm like, oh, no, it's in the death key. Like, there's some keys that are terrible for a violin. Um, but if it's as long as it's not one of those two keys, I could probably play along just fine. So putting a violin to these Christmas songs, is that did that come easy? It was, I would say this is my favorite album I've ever worked on. You know, just the process of writing it. Because it wasn't, like, starting from scratch. It was taking songs that I love and, again, finding melodies that sang well on the violin. But the challenge was with this one, like, Silent Night has been done how many times? Mm-hmm. Trillion. Trillion times. Mm-hmm. Carol of the Bells, how many times? And so finding a way to make it sound fresh and new and also very much like me. And I, I never just want to regurgitate a melody like, oh, the melody is jingle bells, jingle bells. I don't want to play that exact melody. I want it to sound to every listener, like, this is Jingle Bells, but, wow, I dance all over on the violin. So it's interesting to find the perfect balance between making it sound fun and original and very much like me so that you don't even realize that the melody is everywhere. All you hear in, is in your head is that familiar tune. Is that a challenge for you to do? It's a challenge, but it's also something I'm really, I feel like is one, something I'm really good at is I've been arranging things since I was a kid. Like, I would arrange my own versions of hymns to play at church. And so it's something that I've practiced since I was a child and something I really enjoy doing, which is why I think this was one of my favorite albums I've gotten to work on. Why was that something you were able to do so young? Doesn't that take like a real knowledge of not just like music, but like how to write music and rearrange chords, right? 
Well, you know, I was blessed with a curse when I was a child. I have a form of dyslexia, mm. and it makes it so I have a really hard time reading music even not only words on pages but I was a terrible sight reader and at first my teachers just thought I wasn't good at theory but no matter what I did I could not sight read and so as a child I would cheat before my lessons and I would listen to the songs I would find we had these tapes of all the songs that I was supposed to learn and I became so good at listening to them before my lessons and then being able to go in there and play it for my teachers. And they thought I was reading the music, yeah. but I wasn't. And so I think just this skill of using my ear versus my eyes, like it's amazing, like the things that maybe handicap you in a way in life can be one of, like it turned out to be one of my greatest abilities is the fact that it made me a great, you know, player by ear. I mean, that's one of the greatest talents in music for somebody to have. It's like perfect pitch and then being able to listen to something and then right. play it right back. And improvisation comes yeah. from that, being able to hear something and think, well, how can I fit into this? Like, you know, what key is this in? I can t I don't have to be told a key. I can just hear it and be like, oh, I know where to put my hands. Well, how has religion affected your music? Like, has it inspired your work? Because I, I was doing some research on you and you dedicated time. You joined a missionary and yeah. you went to New York City, which I thought was really cool. And mm -hmm. it was in the middle of college. Right. Yeah. I took off a year and a half in the middle of college, devoted that entire time to go and, you know, share service and to share my beliefs with people in the beautiful city of New York. <laughs> which, which really, I don't it's know. It's a really tough a lot place. Of <laughs> <laughs> tough place to be a missionary. But at the same time, in one way, it gave me a really thick skin. I always joke that it was easy to jump into the music industry after that and be, you know, face rejection. Like you have to face and pick yourself up again. Because I was like, heck, I just spent a year and a half being told that people don't want to listen to what I have to say. You know, going door to door, talking to people on the street, being spit on, like, Literally. You know, literally spit on multiple times yeah. um, or yelled at people. I don't know. It's an, it's a, it was a very interesting experience. It taught me a lot just about myself and about the joy that comes through service and giving, um, but also gave me a thick skin. And I would say my, my beliefs, my faith adds so much to my music because, I mean, a lot of the music I write comes from a place of spirituality. Like it's about, you know, sometimes overcoming things or it's about reaching for something greater than yourself. And, you know, it's instrumental music most of the time. So no one would know that that's what it means to me. But those sounds and those those melodies and the way that they they reach the, you know, the top, to me, it's a sense of reaching for spirituality. And I think that that's why it inspires these these emotions that the songs create. That's beautiful. Would make creating hymns or adding layers to hymns be in your future ever or like a Christian album. Tori Kelly just did one. It's beautiful. Yes, and I love Tori Kelly. She's the best person. She is the best. Um, you know, I'm not sure if I'd ever do like a, because I kind of like, I don't know, casting a specific net, but also a wide net. You know, I don't know if I'd, I don't know if those album would sound any more spiritual if it was a religious album. Because yeah. to me, they're all kind of like, um, the idea of being brave enough was it was all based upon my beliefs of, you know, after I'd gone through loss and wanting to feel connected to my my father and my best friend who had passed away. And to me, that's all spirituality and faith based. And so even if I, you know, it was a pretty spiritual album, it just came under a different it was wearing a different dress, you know. <laughs> and so I think if I made just a Christian based album, it would it would make it so that a lot of my fans might not connect with something that I would have written anyway. I understand that. Yeah. And it's. It's supported within the themes of your songs without saying it is blatantly a right. religious album. And even when I'm on tour, I I mean, I'm not afraid to share. I never want to be preachy. I never want to make people think that I'm trying to get you to believe what I believe. But I also think that being authentic is so important. And so when I'm on stage, I'm not afraid to say that I find strength through God or that I believe that I'll see my, my family again. You know, or mm -hmm. like these themes of faith, I think that they become powerful when you're authentic and that... Peep, anyone can draw from that, whether you're atheist or whether you're religious, like anyone can draw from like those themes of believing in something greater than yourself and finding strength in that. Totally get it. I, you work in the streets of New York City, preaching the word. Preaching the word. And people just, I can, I've watched missionaries in New York City as a bystander oh, get attacked. So I can yeah. only imagine the stories you have. Some good stories, you yeah, know? Yeah, spit right in the face. <laughs> I did. You really could do anything. You can get up on any stage after that. It's true. And I'm like, I'm very grateful for that, those experiences. And like, they taught me so many things. And I would, you know, it's, it's a time of my life that was one of the hardest things I've ever done. It's really hard to leave everything behind. And I mean, literally, you don't have, 
you can't call home. You write a letter. You can write a letter once a week home to your family, and you can get mail once a week. But mm-hmm. like other than that, you are you're not working. You're not doing anything else. You've saved up to go, and you are there. And it was the most selfless thing I've ever done. And um, yeah, I will be forever grateful for that experience. Rewarding. Very rewarding. I mean, it, it taught me so many things, and also, I mean, in a spiritual sense, I feel like. You know, it's like I gave up a year and a half of my life to go out there and to share this message of hope and love and and spirituality. And when I came home from my mission is when I became obsessed with music. And it's when all of a sudden I started to pursue music. And I feel like it's almost like my heart was then ready for this gift that God had given me. And it was like, okay, you've you've served. You gave up something for me and I'm going to bless you a hundredfold. And I really feel like those little sacrifices we make for our beliefs, no matter what it is. I think that whether it's karma or whether it's actually God blessing you, I think that we can all agree that it comes back to you tenfold. Truth, 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 truth. You get what you give out, right? Yeah. Lindsay Sterling. I have a question. Warmer in the Winter is the album. Check it out. What kind of violin do you use? I use several different kinds. I have um, a lot of Yamaha violins. Those are my electrics, and I bedazzle them, and I make them really sparkly and pretty for stage and some of them glow in the dark, like just, oh, you know, cool. yeah, it's fun for, for tours. Some of them are very showy, but my, like my baby violin, it's um, a hundred year old violin. It's a German made uh, Roth violin. Ooh, Ooh, sounds fancy. I know, I know. <laughs> I don't know what it means, but it sounds fancy. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know anything about violins. I just felt like it was important to ask. Yeah. And well, we learned something cool. The cool thing about violins is they are like a fine wine. They get better with age. And so that's why really nice violins are very expensive is because you cannot just they, they're not in mass production you can't just go and buy the best violin that was made this week it's if you want a great violin they have these ancient ones that you go to old violin shops and it's like it's like harry potter choosing his wand it's almost <laughs> like the violin chooses you it's Ooh, really what, exciting what happens over time that makes it sound better is it like the way the wood ages yeah the wood ages and it gets um you know it, it just gets uh maybe softer you know as it Gosh. ages and so the sound gets warmer but yeah, it's, it violins sound very bright when they're brand new. Like the wood is just very bright and crispy, and then as they age, they get like, yeah, more I, delicate. It's like soul. I, it I, gets soul, and it gets it probably gets some stories in it. I don't know. <laughs> it's like a crock pot, you know. It like <laughs> takes on all the flavors they've cooked in it. Maybe the violin takes on a little piece of all the songs that have been played on it. I don't know. That's cool. That's also gross. <laughs> now I'm gonna rethink anything I ever think from a crock pot. Is there a difference between a violin and a fiddle, or is it the same thing? They just call it different things in different genres. Yeah, it's like the style in which it's played oh, makes so, it a fiddle. You know? Oh, gotcha. Okay. So I guess there's a there's a few songs I have where I guess it's a fiddle, but mostly because I was like classically trained, I consider it a violin. Gotcha. Just st- really no difference. Do you still uh, find playing the violin fun? Like, is it still fun for you? It's both. It's work sometimes, and sometimes it's frustrating. Like when I'm on tour, sitting in my dressing room by myself, practicing, you know, my intonation and slowly moving through my dressing room. That's not fun. Mm-hmm. But when I get to, you know, record a song that I'm really excited about or get to perform, like that is so fun. Getting able to see all my vision, you know, my little visions and imaginations come to life. It's about the theatricality for me of obviously so much so, but also just, you know, being able to play this instrument that I've worked so hard my whole life to play. Like it's, that's fun. Like, like, so if you have a, like a friend has a Christmas party or family has a Christmas party, do they just expect you to bring your violin and play? You know, it's funny. Like the expectation shows up when I show up. It's like, oh, you're here. Like, did you bring your violin? I'm like, you invited me to a Christmas party. Of course I didn't bring my violin. But like very few people think about it before I walk in the room. And I think it's hilarious. Like people are always like, oh, please tell me you brought your violin. Oh my gosh, it'd be so funny if you played like some Christmas song. Like, do you come to a a Christmas party with your stethoscope because you're a doctor? No. Like, anyways. I feel like that could also be the best wedding gift ever. Like you don't ever need to buy somebody anything. show up and play a song and you leave it was funny i was recently at a, a really good friend's wedding and she didn't ask me to play they had a wedding band and everything and i said to one of my my other like best friends that was at this wedding i was like you know it's kind of nice to be at this wedding and i like no one asked me to play and she's like oh that's so nice but you're gonna play at my wedding <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> right. okay. Done. i was like well of course if you ask of course i will play at your wedding i was like well, i was just saying it's kind of nice <laughs> you want to enjoy sweet i'll hit you up when i get married <laughs> there you go let me know Lindsay sterling warmer in the winter that is the record it is a re-release you added five new songs mm-hmm. yes five new tracks some of which are my new favorites on the album i do have to say you have sabrina carpenter on one you're a mean one mr grinch yes we just 
filmed the music video and it will be coming out soon and it is so much fun. What are the legalities on using a song like that? Because so many people cover it. Like, do you right. need to get the rights and stuff? You have to go through some hoops. I can't remember exactly which hoops those <laughs> are. Thankfully, I have an amazing management, as I mentioned before. <laughs> over there, she's laughing at me. Um, because they do a ton of work to make sure all of that stuff gets taken care of. Yeah, the cringe um, wants your money, man. He does. He's he, a mean one. He wants to get paid. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, Carol the Bells, that is a not a, Like, I always wonder, like, like Jingle Bell Rock, like everybody's covering these songs. Like, what right? Do, what does it look like on the back end of these deals? I'm like, well, thankfully, well, the Christmas album, quite a few of those are public domain. Like oh, Carol the Bells, public it. domain. Um, I saw Three Ships, mm. Angels We've Heard on High. The, what Child Is This? A lot of those are public domain. Might have done that slightly on purpose, <laughs> uh, but all, I mean, I honestly love those old yeah. old songs. Though, like I Wonder as I Wander is an old Celtic hymn. Yeah, I don't even know that. I never and, heard it. And I hadn't heard it in years until I happened upon it again. And I was like, these old songs have such haunting melodies. Like, people don't really write haunting Christmas melodies anymore. Mm -hmm. It's funny you say that. I was listening, and some of this reminded me of the Stampede from the Lion King on Broadway soundtrack. Really? Which makes sense, then. Because that's (laughs) a very haunting thing. Yes, uh uh-huh. That makes sense. That specific scene. (laughs) Were you inspired by music growing up in the church? Like, did that have an impact and, like, influence on you getting into it? Are you creating music? Um, yeah, well, I mean, I would say singing is a big part of, you know, like faith, I feel like yeah. just kind of um, traditionally and going to church, you always sing hymns and in sacrament meeting and then the kids go to primary where they sing all these little primary songs. And so music is, I think, a really cool expression of faith. And it's always been traditionally in a lot of faith religions, you know, whether, you know, even if you go way back into some old religions you know like even monks they like do these 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 musical sounds to express their connection to to peace and to so i mean i think music is a huge part of faith um i want to play this on the radio <laughs> cool. right now cool. no, no i'm just fascinated because like it, it is like if you when you think of church music you think of like orchestral big but also like soft and and really, like, kind of lightly soulful. Like, right. we used to have a violin player come to my church, and, like, it was very impactful. Mm-hmm. You know, it really it, it really was able to tell a story beautifully. Yeah. Or in a story that was being told really nicely. Yeah. It's uh, the violin. The lost art. <laughs> yeah. Truth. Da, 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 da. Do you wish more, like, hip-hop and other pop stars would put violin in their music? Yeah, because then they'd probably call me. Yeah, right? <laughs> Which would be great. Why aren't people <laughs> using it more? Why aren't people using it more? Um, I mean, I think it's just not top of mind when you're making a, a hip-hop song. And also, I think a lot of people rely on, like, synthesized strings. Yeah. Um, so, like, a lot of hip-hop tracks or rap, like, have these little, like, synthesized orchestras in them. And so that's become kind of, like, just a sound that attaches itself to that genre. If you want strings in your rap song, you kind of go to that sound because sound is so important in feeling like a genre, like the way, you know, certain drums are used in hip hop versus pop and and that makes it sound like it's hip hop. So I think it's just been such a thing because that's what was easiest. And so these little synthesized strings have become part of the sound of some of those things. But I think people are craving more and more um, or going back to like organic sounding stuff because it's like you go, you can only go so far in one direction and then everybody starts to crave like mm-hmm. what, you know, the realness that music used to have more of. And so I think we're going back to that direction, which is awesome. I think more instrumentation is starting to be put into music that is real. So cool. no one's reached out? <laughs> Not yet. No one's cool that we... we, we... <sighs> Not at the moment. Who do you mm-hmm. want? Is there a song out there that you've heard and you're like, wow, I could have added something real to this record? Man... Ed Sheeran had a song about some girl playing a violin in in this pub. Yes. Yeah, you're right. Um, yeah. And I was like, why didn't you call me, Ed? <laughs> but, Ed. Yeah, come on. But um yeah. So we'll put we'll put that record on the list. Any other songs? It's a great record. Yeah. Um I forget the name of it though. Um uh Celtic uh played her Oh, Galway Girl. Yeah, Galway Girl. There you go. That's the record. Which I also think was a cover. It is. Yeah, yeah. Galway oh, Girls a thing, yeah. I didn't know that. Well, now we all know. Yeah. You do the fiddle because it's like Celtic. Yeah. Is that when it's fiddle, right? Exactly. Any other songs you've heard that you're like, I should be on this, but I'm not? I'm trying to think off the top of my head. I will say, I I think top of my list, the, the two people I'd like to work with the most. I would love to work with Pink someday because oh, I yes. love Pink. She's, so, she's fantastic. She's so cool. So cool. If you haven't seen her live, she's the mm-hmm. 
best live performer inspired me so much when I was like, you know, I, I planned my shows and ever since I saw her first show as like, what would Pink do? She's so amazing. Talk about somebody who can do a thousand things at once. Yeah, right? She's amazing. She's so strong, but she's like feminine. And she, anyway, she, she's my hero. Um, and then uh, John Williams. The, I the composer the composer oh wow yeah cool I I'm love sure. John Williams his melodies like you hear just a few notes of one of his melodies and all of a sudden you're in Hogwarts <laughs> dun, dun, yeah. dun, dun, dun. and like That's he it. tells stories through music just as strongly as the films do and I don't know any other composer that can yeah. do that or like two notes and you're in the sea and there's a shark after you yeah dun, oh, he, oh that's right you just That's, I forgot yeah he did Jaws dun, anyways it's he's so, genius yeah. I was listening to your uh, to you on Spotify today and once I made it through your songs John Williams' <gasps> stuff showed up right after what your neighbors on Spotify <laughs> no, that's a thing Taken down my Spotify white picket fence so that we're going to be closer. So we have Ed Sheeran out in the universe, John Williams out in the universe, and we have Pink out in the universe. Yeah. That's a good people. three. That's a good three. I'll, we'll leave it at that. Let yeah. it marinate. Everybody should listen to the Christmas record. It's technically an album, not a record, but it's uh, warmer in the winter. Yay! Yeah. Courtesy of Lindsay Sterling. Mm-hmm. Brittany Carpenter's on there. Becky G's on there. Hall- uh, Hallelujah. You added that record. Yeah. That's a new one. That's a good one. Did you sing on it? Is there just an instrumental? That one's just instrumental, but I wonder as I wander. I did sing on that one and oh, nice. Santa Baby. You sang Santa Baby? I sang Santa <gasps> Baby. I can't wait to listen oh. to it. It's one of my favorite Christmas songs. It's so really? sassy. I love so it. So sassy. Yeah. I'm, again, we just filmed the music video for that one, and it's so cute i can't wait it's one of my one of my cutest videos ever <laughs> I'm, I'm i'm excited is that out of your comfort zone putting your voice on a record um you know what i it's funny because again i sang it in the studio as a demo and then i was like actually i really like the way that my voice suits this song so i never really got super nervous because it mm-hmm. just like kind of happened yeah. um i am terrified to sing that song live on tour <laughs> like that's a different ball game like it, i know that there's people listening this is live you know, it's it's not like my comfort zone for sure then. But, but you're, you're going to do it. Yeah. But I'm going to do it. Yeah. With no violin. No violin. Will somebody else play the violin for this song? Um. Well, there's a little um pre-chorus. I'll play that and then I like hand my violin off to a dancer and I keep singing. And then it, you know. Oh, I'm so excited. Uh, yeah, me, me too. Do you do, do you do it with that attitude like Madonna does it? Like Santa baby, like that? Like how do you? I didn't do it quite as, um, quite as much. You'll have to listen to it. Oh, you're it's right. actually yeah, yeah, a very right. different take on Santa Baby. It? It's um but I I was really happy with how it came out. It's um yeah, it's just it's not quite as uh no, it's sassy still. I don't know. You'll just have to listen to it. I don't know how to describe it. I'll listen. <laughs> yep, you're right. When but it's the, a fun one. Yeah. When does the Christmas store kick off? Soon. <gasps> the day after Thanksgiving. Here we go. Sweet. Eat your turkey and then come see the show. Warmer <laughs> in the winter, that is the album. Lindsay Sterling, we thank you so much for hanging out. Thank you for having Appreciate me. Appreciate you. You guys are delightful. You are Thanks. delightful. Thanks for having me. Let's yeah. Your Thank you. Woo! This podcast is part of the Zach Sang Show Podcast Network.